to the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, what's going on? Welcome to episode 103 of the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. Blue Jays spring training baseball is rolling, and we're going to talk all things Blue Jays today. Joining me now is Jason Lee of jaysjournal.com. Jason, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Adam. I'm excited to be here. Hell yeah, man. Look, here's the deal. There are a pocket of Blue Jays fans that I talk to during the season or whenever there's uh, Blue Jays news that breaks or whatever or anything noteworthy when it comes to the Blue Jays. Typically, this happens on Twitter. And you're someone that I interact with typically and... Yeah, I'm just glad to have you on the show because I feel like, for me, this is a little long overdue. So this is, on my part, I am very honored for you to hop on, and it's a welcome addition. So thank you for joining me. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me once again. Yeah, man, yeah. Um, We'll get into Blue Jays news in a bit, but I just wanted to touch on a few things when it comes to uh, the MLB. Um, I I don't know if you noticed today about the rule changes. Did you see this? I did a little bit uh, with the trade deadline, right? Dude, I saw that, and I'm like, this is amazing. Personally, I think this is the best thing that could happen because I feel for the casual fan, it's confusing. Like the non-waiver, waiver, trade deadline, it's weird. But now that there's a hard deadline, it's pretty much just like the other two major sports or three major sports, however you want to look at it. So I feel this is the MLB sort of catching up to this, and it's kind of a welcome addition yeah i kind of wish we had it last year because then um with the whole josh donaldson situation (laughs) it might have gotten a better package out of it do you think that this is going to end up forcing teams hands to make uh, make moves a little bit more aggressively or do you think that we're probably not going to see much of an uptick in trade activity uh i do think it'll be a more exciting trade deadline uh with teams Especially if they have injured players, they can't wait as long for to find a replacement. So I do think there will be a bit of a more of a flurry of activity. And I hope for the fans and for the game in general, that'll be more exciting. I agree. I think that you're going to see the same amount of volume when it comes to big trades. Because usually when it comes to the big names, other teams are aggressive in their pursuits at the initial trade deadline, right? But come the the tender, um, the sorry, the waiver trade deadline after that, and which goes until what August thirty first, um, those names aren't typically big names because, from my understanding, and I'm sort of old school when it comes to this. Back when Ricciardi was the GM, he indicated that pretty much every team puts every player on the. Uh, on waivers at that point just to see what they can dangle out and typically when it's a big name once that player is claimed they reel him back into the club and saying no no you're not getting this guy so i feel like when it comes to the big fish the pursuit will be the same but when it comes to role players or utility guys maybe that's where you're going to see teams be a little bit more aggressive in their pursuits come this hard trade deadline yeah, there's a lot of strategy that goes into the uh, the second trade deadline. For example, like if a team knows that their rival wants a certain player and they're behind the, sta- the standings, then they could easily just choose him. Like say, I want to trade for him. 
and then just not trade for him. And then the team who wants him doesn't can't really trade for him. So there's a lot of strategy that goes behind that. And if that's prevented, then we could see more deals going through for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think this is gives the the non-household names, I guess you could say, a little bit more of a chance to become part of winning ball clubs and sort of make their name a little bit more well-known. I think this is a good thing for baseball. Um, I don't know why, but one GM, um, Anonymous, said that this is a huge mistake, according to reports. I think Sportsnet reported it. I don't understand why this could be considered a bad thing. I didn't see really any arguments on Twitter leaning towards this being a negative thing. So I don't know. Did you see anything leading towards that? Uh, no, my initial reaction and my, um, it hasn't changed. It's been positive. I love the change. And I think that baseball just has to continue to make real changes, uh, that keep the sport interesting because, uh, the interest level is falling down a little bit. And I feel like this is a good first step. Yeah, this is, it's puzzling to me because this is an intangible change, right? So there's nothing to do with the game or the pace of play aspect that I guess a lot of people are holding their head on because that's a that's a hot topic, right? They're messing with the pitch clock and then they're not doing a pitch clock. They're messing with the idea of a pitcher facing a minimum of three batters. Um, I think that what they're also going to do is limit the time in between innings. So you're going to see, I guess, the game shorten just a little bit. I don't know how much time they typically take in between innings just to throw around and warm up, but um, I think they're making positive steps towards that. I just like to see what their plan is to do, uh, I don't know, something tangible, something within the actual game itself in terms of play and how they're going to time things. Um, I think that's going to be interesting to how they move forward. Yeah, I don't know what you think about it, but my opinion on uh, changing the tangible stuff, like you said, is um, I would much rather have Major League Baseball, you know, uh, fix the intangible stuff. For example, take away tanking. Because mm. what they're trying to do with the tangible stuff, right, is they're trying to shorten games. They're trying to make it more enjoyable for the average fan. But in my opinion, one of the fastest ways to make a game enjoyable is to have the game being competitive. Because even if it's a, if it's an enjoyable game, if your team's out of the playoff race, it's not going to be that enjoyable for the fans. So if you can, let's say, find a solution for tanking, keep competition level high throughout the year, I think that's going to make more of an impact rather than a pitch clock or moving the mound back or anything like that. It's interesting because you have the other sports, like the the high-level sports will include hockey and that. So you have like teams like uh, sorry, sports like hockey, basketball, and football, that when you tank, it's pretty, the result of that is immediate, right? You get the, the, in NBA, you get the chance, a better chance for the first overall pick. In football, you get the first overall pick if you finish dead last. Um, in hockey, you get a better chance at the first overall pick or the second pick. Um, in baseball, though, there's sort of this waiting game because the draft just, for me, isn't that exciting because whoever they draft... In the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's cool and all, but it's going to be a good four, five, six years before I even see this kid. And it's not that immediate jump, right? So I I think you're right. I think in terms of tanking, it's kind of silly in baseball because I'm just like, what are you really tanking for? Yeah, four to five years, that's that's torture for a lot of fans, like four to five years of losing baseball. Yeah, and people don't even remember the guy. Exactly. I don't know. They got to do something because... 
for me, this is the most beautiful game on the planet. And it'd be a shame if interest level goes down because, I don't know, just the excitement of the game. When it's right, when your team is good, right, and, and the game is right, there's nothing there's nothing quite like it. So here's hoping. Yeah, and pr- Toronto's a perfect example of that. The fans come if the yeah. team wins. Oh, yeah. So, and they, they also lose interest when they lose. We, we know all about that from exactly. last year. So. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, so speaking of the Blue Jays, let's just get right into it. Um, they have won eight of their last ten games after falling today to Baltimore. We are recording this Wednesday evening. Um, that and yesterday's loss aside, it's hopefully giving fans a little glimmer of hope for the upcoming regular season. As we sort of alluded to, we'd like to see them win, or we'd like to see them at least be pretty good. Um, it's pretty tough to evaluate the team this early in terms of projected performances, but in terms of the loose optics, how do you feel about the Blue Jays heading into the 2019 season? Yeah, I think spring training has a lot of people excited just because of the names who are generating the excitement. You know, it's Bo Bichette, Dalton Pompey, Anthony Alford, all these young players generating excitement. These are the players that fans have heard about, the future of the Blue Jays, and to see them perform finally... It's going to be a relief, and this I'm excited for them as well. Do you think that there's a chance? Now, I know a lot of people have them penciled in as performing pretty poorly, and I can see that. I can see why, and I'm leaning more towards that. However, this is baseball, right? Anything could happen. We can never rule anything out. Me, personally, I didn't think the Oakland Athletics were going to be nearly as good as they were last year, right? And somehow, some way, they were pretty good. Do you think it's possible that the Blue Jays either A, finish better than 73 wins, or B, or both, um, perform sort of like the Tampa Bay Rays of last year, like sort of have this ace in their sleeve and everything clicks right with the pitching and the hitting, and they make a decent statement in the AL East? Yeah, I think for sure that they'll top 73 wins. Uh, I think they'll do it pretty comfortably. I think what I see, how how I see it playing out is the Blue Jays are going to probably be good. And then at the trade deadline, Ross Atkins and the front office are going to have a tough decision to make. And that's whether you the team is going to perform un, unexpectedly well. And that is, are you going to trade for a player and, and hope that you make the playoffs? Or are you going to trade the players who are helping you win? in order to help the rebuild. And I think that's play out. That's interesting. I didn't really even consider that possibility. I, I just figured that if they're going to do it, they're going to do it with the roster that they had. And it's interesting after talking about the trade deadline, how it's a hard deadline. Um, it sort of lends credence to what we were talking about, right? Teams are going to have to be a little bit more aggressive. And if they do perform well, that's, that's interesting. Look, like I said, I don't rule out a, a performance that's going to shock us, right? Um, Danny Jansen has been performing well. It's yet to be seen that if he's going to be able to provide the stability and the the leadership behind the plate that is similar. I'm not saying he's going to replicate it, but similar to that of Russell Martin. Obviously, the framing isn't there and the relationship with umpires. I think that is important. Those things are sort of eliminated at this point. But we have a pretty decent catcher, if not an excellent catcher, behind the plate on a semi-regular basis. And if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can be what we all hope he is, 
and perhaps if Anthony Alford uh, is a mainstay on this team, there's a lot of good hitting, and there's a lot of potential with this team, and if everything breaks right, you just never know. Exactly, and especially the pitching side. I'm excited to see what Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman do this year. When healthy, those two can lead a pitching staff. That's interesting, because today it was announced that uh, Marcus Stroman was going to be the opening day starter. I was a little taken aback by that because Aaron Sanchez has been sort of fire all spring training, and he's, at least right now, ostensibly, he looks like his old 2016 self. Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Stroman getting the nod on opening day, and did you think that this was the right call? Yeah, I definitely agreed with the decision. Um, I mean, it is spring training. I don't think you can base a decision such as the open day, opening day starter with a small sample size, such as spring training. And especially given that Marcus Stroman has consistently pitched a lot of innings for the Blue Jays, and then while Aaron Sanchez has been injured a lot, I think the decision was made probably before spring training started. I See, I was a little uh, surprised by the news, only given the fact of the, the controversy surrounding Marcus Stroman. I, I know a lot of people don't like to pay attention to it, and I've never seen the Blue Jays uh, fanhood so divided by just one single player and his comments. I've never seen the fan base sort of split between, hey, I really super agree with what he's saying about veteran players, about contract status, whatnot, and other play other fans rather are saying he needs to keep his mouth shut and stay in line. Um, and given what Ross Atkins said following the Stroman comments and what uh, Mark Shapiro said recently, I was sort of surprised. I thought this might have been, if they gave the nod to Sanchez, I thought, oh, maybe this is a, a sort of a silent message to Stroman to say, like, look, if you want to be a mainstay with this team, if you want to sort of earn this, you got to sort of play by the rules. I think if the Blue Jays gave the opening day start to Aaron Sanchez, it would have been a poor tactical decision. Um, I, don't know. I don't think they wanted to deal with what potentially could have happened with Stroman, uh, what he could have said. You know, to risk already breaking team chemistry this early, I think it would have been a poor decision. And I think definitely that that definitely had to do with part of the decision that they made. I worry that it sends a poor message to the youth, right? I worry that, all right, so it, it seems clear that the front office is at least unhappy with the way the comments were made. I can see if you just read what Stroman said in the beginning of spring training, and this is like a month ago now. It seems like it was last week. But if you just read what he said, it seems sort of innocuous. But if you hear the way he said it, you can sort of sense a great deal of frustration and a little bit of vitriol in his words. Um, I worry that that type of behavior might be bleeding into the youth, right? Because they're sort of impressionable. And they'll get the impression that, look, if I can sort of state my claim to the media about me being unhappy, if and when that ever happens, it doesn't matter because there's going to be no repercussions. There's going to be no downfall on my end because look at Stroman. He got the opening day nod. Like how much more confidence can you lend towards a player? Yeah, with Stroman, I think it's um, it's a unique case. I don't think that he'll rub on the young players too much because I think – Stroman is his own type of person. Um, to learn that, I think it'd be very hard for a young player to learn from his actions. I personally think that Blue Jays are saying, Stroman, you do you. 
and we're going to let the veterans take care of the young guys. As long as he's not being a negative influence, then I don't think it'll be much of a problem. Well, you're right. I think that as long as he's pitching well, right, and if him and Sanchez are clicking, I think that's really all that they care about. And I think that Shapiro was genuine when he said that, look, if I spend my time worrying or concentrating on players' tweets, then I'm not doing a good job at my occupation here because that means I'm not paying attention to improving the team in other areas, right? I'm not paying attention to free agency. I'm not uh, paying attention to perhaps a trade or whatever to improve the team. And I think this is putting his words to practice, right? There's no better evidence than that because you're right. I feel like if they were worried about it, if they were down or saw his comments to be a negative, not just for the team in the player aspect, but just as a reflection on the organization, I don't believe for a second he would have gotten the nod. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, well, let's uh, move on. Let's talk about the youth. Um, We touched on him a little bit before, but let's get into a little bit more detail. No surprise here, but according to a tweet by Mike Wilner, manager Charlie Montoyo has given Danny Jansen the green light to be the Jays' starting catcher, with Luke Maley manning the backup role and Reese McGuire heading to Buffalo to catch up with the Bisons. Um, This may be a little bit outdated given today, but according to Baseball Reference, Jansen is hitting... 280, 280, 320 with an OPS of 600, seven hits, one run, one RBI in 10 games, 25 plate appearances, and 25 at-bats thus far in spring training. Uh, Last year in just 31 games with the club, Jansen had a line of 247, 347, 432, and an OPS of 779, an OPS plus of 115, which is pretty outstanding for given 31 games with the team. Um... Pretty much a given heading into spring training. I don't think anybody's surprised, but it's worth talking about. How do you feel about Danny Jansen manning the ship behind the plate in 2019? Yeah, I absolutely love the decision. I think the the announcement was more of a formality. I think everyone already knew when the Blue Jays traded Russell Martin to the Dodgers that they were going to hand the catching reins to Danny Jansen. And he's ready. Um, last year in Buffalo, he had you know, like a 390 on-base percentage. He had a very good OPS. And what stood out to me most was his walk-to-strikeout ratio. I think they were nearly one-to-one, which shows incredible plate discipline. Um, He's an above-average hitter. He does need to improve his defense, I've heard, but I I don't think he's a bad defender in any sense. I have high expectations for him uh, in 2019. I think he'll immediately slot in as a top 5-10 to catcher in terms of his offense. In the entire league? In in the entire league. I think... um, a good comparison would be what Yasmani Grandal did last year. That is high praise, and that gets me kind of hyped because I, I agree with you. I think last year, especially in Buffalo, he was lighting it up. I, I remember checking on the Bisons quite a bit, and I'd look at the the offensive numbers, and I'm like, just like, wow, this guy is just tearing it up. And it, it was I don't want to say it was under the radar, but he didn't get the attention that I felt outside of Blue Jays fanhood that he deserved. Um, I know putting on the glasses helped him a lot with his vision in terms of plate um, plate vision, I should say. Um, and he's been, you know, sort of tearing it off. I don't know what you mean by um, defense being an issue, but I do think if this is what you mean, um, I think his uh, ability to um, call a good game and generate that chemistry with the with the entire starting rotation is going to be something that I'm going to be paying attention to. 
Um, his framing, as I mentioned, in comparison to Russell Martin, probably isn't nearly as good. And I, I don't know. I think that's something that Blue Jays fans took for granted when Martin was here. And now that it's gone, uh, I expect it to be sort of frustrating for uh, fans moving forward because I think that's something that was huge, right? The, it, not just the framing, the relationship with Russell Martin and the umpires, just as a veteran. Removing that from the game, I think that's going to be something that Blue Jays fans aren't really anticipating. And once they see it, it's going to become incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I was a little surprised when the Blue Jays traded Russell Martin. But I think if you look at the Blue Jays starting rotation right now, Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, Clayton Richard, uh, Matt Schumacher, they're all veterans. Um, They don't necessarily need a veteran presence behind the plate. And if you look at Ryan Baraki, I mean, Danny Jansen has been catching him for a while now, if I'm not mistaken. So I think the Blue Jays strategically planned this. I think they knew from the beginning of the offseason that they wanted Danny Jansen as a starting catcher. And the offseason signings and trades, I think, reflected that. You're not worried about him with, I guess you could say, veterans like Clayton Richard and Clay Buckholtz, like developing that chemistry and being able to call a game that suits their style because he, like I said, he only has 31 games of major league experience. And obviously it's sort of a learn as you go type of thing with him being so young and getting the opportunity this early in his career to be a starting catcher. Um, I just worry that there's going to be somewhat of a learning curve in the beginning portion of the season, and you're not going to see him really fall into into a groove behind the plate until maybe around mid-June. Yeah, I think the uh, learning curve was going to come anyways, whether he was going to start this year or next year. Um, And what I was talking about in terms of his defense was I was actually reading up on him on MLB.com Pipeline, and they said that his throwing was actually his worst part of his defense that his um the other aspects were actually quite good that's what i read upon read up on it all right well i mean it's not like the blue jays and this isn't meant to be an indictment on him at all but it's not like the blue jays really had any other options moving forward after training martin away and i think you're right i think this was the plan all along get him up as soon as possible and get him into this groove and to develop that chemistry as early as possible because if this is going to be the catcher for the next foreseeable future, like what four, five, six, seven years, um, it's better for him to develop this chemistry now. And like you said, he's had the experience in AAA in Buffalo with uh, uh, some of these kids anyway. And once that whole crop of players sort of become the identity of the Blue Jays completely, I think then you're going to really see a click with him and you're going to see spectacular things from him, both defensively and offensively. Exactly. And I think Danny Jansen, the potential of his offense is so good that I think that the Blue Jays are fine with that learning curve initially, that they're, they, they're willing to wait for him to develop defensively. And I think uh, Jays fans are in for a treat for what Danny Jansen has to offer in 2019. I don't know if you play any fantasy baseball. I don't. I used to a while ago, but I do. I do catch up on um, how they rank players, and it was surprising to me that right now he's ranked the tenth overall catcher in the entire league. And for me, I don't remember the last time the Blue Jays had such a highly rated, highly touted catching prospect coming up. I know Aaron Sebia had you know strong optics 
from the fan base and as a prospect. But once he got here, it sort of like slipped down the hill. Um, it's just encouraging for me that, you know, uh, along with other positions, having someone like that behind the plate sort of reassures me and gives me confidence moving forward. Absolutely. Having an offensive catcher is definitely a luxury in this league. I think Danny Jansen is a tough, what I meant by Danny Jansen being a top five to 10 catcher, uh, just because of how thin the catcher position is, um, especially you saw Salvador Perez out this year with Tommy John surgery. And if you really look at the catching options in the league, it's really thin. And Danny Jansen has the immediate potential to be an offensive superstar in terms of the catching position. Do you think that this spells trouble for Reese McGuire had, uh, moving forward? In other words, if Danny Jansen is what we all believe him to be, and he rounds into form and becomes this player that is legitimately a mainstay for this team. Does that make Reese McGuire an interesting trade chip? Uh, yes. I think the value of Reese McGuire isn't too high to start with. He's a, he's a great defensive catcher. His bat is not as developed as his defense. I think that since the Jays have Luke Miley, I think, I do think that he becomes an interesting trade chip, but I don't think it'll be of too high of a value as what uh, fans might think. You know, if you have a, a guy like Reese McGuire, who probably doesn't nearly have the, as high of a ceiling as Danny Jansen, but can still be serviceable for the Jays, like better than a backup is what I mean. Um, there's really nowhere else you can put him because the first base is sort of clogged up as it is right now. And that's why I think that it's interesting if come, again, the trade deadline, if the Blue Jays are somewhat in it or they're looking to bolster and solidify uh, areas of need in other situations, perhaps maybe starting pitching or whatnot, um, Reese McGuire might be in a nice little trade chip. Yeah, for sure. Maybe for uh, not definitely the center, pack, the center attraction of a trade package, but I do think that as a sweetener, you could definitely have value. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about... Um, the guy that everybody wants to talk about in terms of Blue Jays chat. <laughs> um, let's talk about Vlad. Um, right? You've heard of Vlad, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I've heard of him. <laughs> um, I think the front office caught a break with this whole service time dilemma. Um, it was initially reported that he was going to be out approximately three weeks with a left oblique strain. Um, however, recent chatter says that it's not nearly as bad as they thought it was, and it might be a little sooner. I still think they're going to lean on that three weeks, though, just so they can get the the service time chatter out of the way, and so he can, quote-unquote, rehab elsewhere. But although the injury is not necessarily a serious concern, I'm sure you have to imagine that the front office is breathing a sigh of relief right now in terms of any chance that a grievance may be filed in the future. Are you concerned with this injury? And if you are, what do you make of the whole situation in general regarding service time, regarding how the front office is handling it? Because this is the topic that everyone's talking about. Yeah, uh, in regards to the injury first, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, I do think it'll be very minor in nature. I think that we'll see Vladi sometime in late April or May. Um, I don't think the injury will hamper his production. And as for the uh, service time debate, I'm a strong believer that what Atkins and Shapiro are doing are for the good of the Blue Jays organization. When I see fans misdirecting their anger at Atkins and Shapiro, I sort of cringe because it's more—it's re really more of a problem 
of Major League Baseball in general. And it's something that the MLB and the MLB Players Association have to fix and not the Blue Jays because Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro's job is to do what's best for the Toronto Blue Jays. And that's getting that extra year of control of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm glad that you said that because bringing it all the way back to the beginning of the show, we are talking about changes that the MLB wants to make. And one of the things that they're going to revisit uh, when it comes to a new CBA, I believe in 2021, I think they want to address this before that, is the service time issue. I think that the MLBPA finds this to be unfair. It makes it that some of the best players in the farm system aren't getting the opportunity that they deserve early enough because uh, teams want that extra year of control. I think that needs to change. But right now, as the rules is currently standing, the Blue Jays aren't really doing anything business-wise wrong. Whether or not people think that's a moral issue, I think that's a completely separate conversation. Um, I think that you're right. I think how the Blue Jays front office is handling this is for the good of the organization as a whole. And not just right now, but in the future. Right? It's not their job to worry about one person's feelings or one person's potential or one person's service time. It's their job to worry about the entire organization, how these decisions affect the entire organization, the entire roster, the entire future. Right, This isn't a present problem or a present uh, situation or conclusion that they're coming out to. This is a future conclusion. Right, They're doing what's best in the future. And I've said this before. I can just see it now. Imagine if the Blue Jays brought him up opening day. Right? Imagine this injury wasn't even on the table or a concern. You know in six years from now when he's facing free agency, everyone on Twitter, if Twitter exists, everyone on Twitter is going to say, why didn't they just leave him in Buffalo for 15, 16, 17 meaningless games so we can have him for another year and we don't have to worry about this now? It's very indicative of Blue Jays fans to sort of want it, want it, want it right now. But when they're faced with the reality of this free agency, if it comes, if it were to come early, they're regretting that decision. Exactly. And I think a lot of fans are worried that doing this right now would damage the front office's relationship with Vladdy and that could somehow affect future contract negotiations. But at the end of the day, Vlad Jr. and his agent know the situation that Ross Atkins is in. They know it's a CBA problem. And in the end, money talks. If the Blue Jays really, really want to sign Vladdy, and if they put a compelling offer on the table, what happened seven years ago isn't really going to matter. Yeah, I agree. And it, look, if this injury is legit, and I have no reason to think that it's not, then it kind of eliminates the aspect of a grievance ever to be filed, right? Because let's say the Blue Jays were planning on bringing him up all along, and he goes through this injury— He's going to have to be put on the shelf, quote-unquote, or rehab in AAA, and his service time would have started exactly when they're planning on it anyway. So I think that in terms of the fans being worried that Vladdy's going to file a grievance, this is going to be a huge issue between Vladdy and the Blue Jays, I think this injury completely eliminates that possibility. Yeah, I think it does, and I surely hope it does. Do you, there's chatter on Twitter, and I know that's, you know, not the best way to bring <laughs> up a conversation, but there's chatter on Twitter that this is some sort of conspiracy agreement between Vlad and the Blue Jays, that there is not an injury concern at all. And this is their way of 
eliminating the conversation completely so people don't barrage him with questions or barrage the front office with questions regarding Vlad. I'm not buying it, but I was interested to see if you are, because if you are, then that's an interesting conversation. But if you're not, we can just move on. Uh, to be honest, I don't buy it either. I think if the if you look at the other situations around the league, you know, Acuna last year, Evo Jimenez today, actually, and a lot of other top prospects who have suffered because of the service manipulation time. I think that front offices, they are fine with answering the tough questions. And I don't think that the Blue Jays front office would really go against, you know, the good, their good morals and really make up a good conspiracy of sorts. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't buy for a second that the Blue Jays front office pulled Vlad aside and was like, all right, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> you're going to fake an injury and you're going to go along with it. And that's that. Because if I'm Vlad, I'm just like, why on earth would I do that? Yeah, exactly. How does that benefit me at all? Like, what? I guess the argument that it, in return is, well, maybe he wants to stay an extra year. Well, then just stay the extra year and stay. Like, why do you need a fake injury to do that? You can just say, no, just keep me down for 15 games or whatever it is, and then bring me up. You don't need an injury to justify the situation. Exactly. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I want to talk about the outfield. And you recently tweeted out um, uh, regarding the outfield and Anthony Alford's potential. So I, I think this is going to be a little interesting segment. Um, you suggested that perhaps Anthony Alfred would be better, would be a better option in center than Kevin Pillar. And that's a fair assessment as Alfred has been just killing it. And he's also been saving lives, sort of, but we can get into that in a bit. Yeah. Um, thus far, according to Baseball Reference, Alfred has a line of 308, 379, 808 with an OPS of 1.187. Crazy. With eight hits, six runs, four home runs, two swipes, Two walks, nine uh, strikeouts in 11 games, 29 plate appearances, and 26 at-bats. Look, we're familiar with the Kevin Pillar episode of him starting off white hot in the beginning of the year and then turning into a pumpkin by, I don't know, June maybe. So I tend to agree with you on there, but I want to give you the opportunity to sort of expand on it. Do you think that Anthony Alford is a better option in the outfield than Kevin Pillar, and why? Absolutely. I think that both for the present and for the future. It's just the best setup that the Blue Jays can go with. Because realistically, for the future, Kevin Pillar is probably not part of it. And you might as well see what you have in guys like Anthony Alford and even a guy like Dalton Pompey. And in the present, realistically, Anthony Alford, in my opinion, is a lock to outperform Kevin Pillar this year. Because defensively, Kevin Pillar is now just a slightly above average defender. His defensive metrics have been steadily declining. He makes the occasional unreal play. I will give him that. He's Superman. But he's not a great defender by any means. Um, and Alfred, his best tool is his speed and defense. He could probably be a better defender than Pilar in 2019. And offensively, it's not really hard to beat a mid-80 WRC+. plus. I think that Kevin Pilar, as I mentioned, in the beginning of the year, he sort of fools us. Right, it's so often, and I, I think in 2015 was his first full season when he started in left field. He comes out hot. He comes out showing this plate discipline, not swinging at bad pitches, and I'm just like, all right, maybe this is the year that he's got it, right? And then no, 
No. Once the summer, usually once it's the official first day of summer, he just falls off a cliff. And we're, we just remind ourselves, oh, yeah, that's, that's Kevin Pillar just swinging at absolutely anything. Um, I, I like the idea. I think Anthony Alford is probably, I don't know if this is a hot take. Let me ask you. Anthony Alford is the most athletic Blue Jay on the roster today. I, I, could, I could agree with that. The dude's just a stud. And he he's, he's just crazy, crazy athletic. He has all the tools. His ceiling is incredibly high. And I do agree with you that the Blue Jays would be better suited with him. The problem is, how do you mend that fence, right? How do you prevent, present yourself with an opportunity to get him uh, as a starting outfielder, whether it be in center field or not? Because I do think that in a perfect world, if Kevin Pillar was moved off this team, I think Chuck would start in center. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Alfred would probably man right field. Um, but I, I don't know. How do you... Don't you think it's a little too early to shop Kevin Pillar and you want to wait until that hot start of the season to sell him at an absolute high? Yeah, and in a perfect world, I think the Blue Jays would have non-tendered Kevin Pillar this year. Um, but I think the realistic scenario is... They trade, they're going to take offers for Kevin Pillar throughout the year. And at the trade deadline, I do think that they're going to move in for the best deal that they have. I know that the Giants are looking for an outfielder, I believe, and they expressed some interest in Pillar throughout the offseason. And then Anthony Alford's probably going to start the year in Buffalo and then come up in the summer and hopefully put on a good show. So you think he's destined to start in Buffalo, Alford, that is? Yes, unfortunately, because I don't think the Blue Jays want him. As a fourth outfielder, I think they want to give him consistent playing time, especially since he started his baseball career so late. I think consistent playing time for Anthony Alfred is extremely important. So I do think he'll start in AAA. What do you make of Dalton Pompey? Because the, the kid is, I think he's on his last rope with the Blue Jays right now, and he's been giving all the opportunities in the world. And, and you know, before he... I know he played. He did play today, right? Did he lead off today? Uh yes, he did. Yeah. So he there was an injury concern. I think he fouled the ball off his shin or his foot or something. Um, it's good to see that he bounced back from that. But what do you make of the situation? Do you think that he's going to get an opportunity, or do you think it's sort of too little, too late for Dalton Pompey? I would be very surprised if Dalton Pompey doesn't make the roster actually, because if you look at the Blue Jays' moves this offseason, Pompey has kept his spot in the 40-man roster over some pretty interesting names. Even in the Rule 5 draft, I think they left Travis Bergen, the left-handed pitcher, relief pitcher, who was so good for the Blue Jays last year. I'm protected in favor, in favor of, I mean, Pompey. And even after the acquisition of Clay Buckles and Bud Norris, they decided to keep, decided to trade away Dwight Smith Jr. So I think that the Blue Jays are committed to giving Pompey one last chance as a fourth outfielder. Do you think that there's a chance that he performs so well in spring training, right? The, the time is limited. There's only a few weeks left that not only will he be the fourth outfielder, but maybe he can find his way into the starting lineup. Uh, if he were to find the way his way into the starting lineup, he would probably have to t- play left field and I don't think that's going to happen because I think the Blue Jays are pretty set on the McKinney-Tioscar-Hernandez platoon. And I also like the idea of that. 
Well, it's interesting because he's he's kind of a a Blue Jays fan favorite in a way, like not the casual fan, but if you know the journey that he's been going on and he's a Canadian kid, um, everyone has the vision of him. I want to say he was on third in the last at-bat against the Kansas City Royals in the ALCS. He was 90 feet away. I think it was Pompey. Um, He's just sort of this fixture that just hasn't gotten the opportunity, whether due to injuries. I know he went through some concussion uh, issues before, and you just want to see him succeed. You want to see him become part of this organization because it's sort of long overdue. And it for me, I just I want to see it happen. I want to see him get the opportunity. Whether if if it doesn't happen here, I want to see him get the opportunity somewhere because he sort of deserved it at this point. Yeah, for sure. Pompey's had some pretty big moments as a Blue Jay. I remember one of my favorite ones was I think he hit did he hit one or two home runs against Felix Hernandez, and that was when I think the hype train really started to take off. Well. Here's hoping that he can find a way onto the roster and stay there because, if I'm not mistaken, he's out of options. So the Blue Jays, it's time to put up or shut up, or he might be someone else's uh, newfound project. And it'd be so Blue Jays if, say, like Tampa Bay picked him up and he just rakes it with them. Yeah, that would be very, very unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can see it now. So hopefully it, uh, it works out. All right, before we wrap it up, I do this every show. In the, in the spring training portion of the season, and I want to get your take. We sort of touched on it, but you didn't give a hard number. No pressure, but sort of pressure. I want to talk predictions. I have the Jays pegged at 78 wins this year. I want to get your take. You said they'll probably perform better than 73, the, the win total they had last year at the beginning of the show. So it's on audio. It's going to be out there in the audio. <laughs> People are going to know that you made this claim, right? So if you if you say, hey, they're going to win 79 games today, and they win 83, and you say, ah, I do it all along, they're going to say, no, 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 no. We have audio of you saying a different number. So no pressure, but pressure. What is your projected win total for this team? I like to be optimistic myself, so I'm going to go with 82. <sighs> I like it. I like it. That That's not quite playoff worthy and not quite... When I say playoff, it's probably not good enough to get the second wild card, but that's still a huge improvement over 73. Yeah, that's exactly what I expect the Blue Jays to do. Not good enough for the playoffs, but good enough to generate a lot of hype for fans. If you had to make one hot take regarding the roster of this team heading into 2019, whether it be a a straight-up trade, a release, anything, what is your hottest of hot takes for the Blue Jays of 2019? Actually, it's funny you say that because my last article was five bold predictions for the 2019 season. But uh, my hot take is, or my hot prediction would be that Aaron Sanchez makes the AL Cy Young list, voting list. But not quite wins it, just gets on the list. No, okay. just the list. All right, that's bold. I like it. That's a, that's a positive bold right there. See, usually when people say hot take, it it's a negative. It's like, oh, someone's going to get traded or someone's going to uh, fall off a cliff. For me... And I guess lending credence towards that. I think my hottest of hot takes before the media scrum was that Marcus Stroman would be traded. I don't know that's that that's regarded as a hot take anymore, though. Yeah, I think it's I actually think it's highly likely that Marcus Stroman eventually does get traded. I agree. All right, um, that's gonna do it. We'll wrap it up here. Um, this is your opportunity to promote 
anything and everything you got going on. Seriously, anything you got going on, your Twitter handle, everything. Just go for it. Leave no stone unturned. Go for it. Yeah, first off, I'd just like to thank you again for having me on. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. It's a, it's been a welcome break from all the exams that I've had to do. <laughs> but yeah, you can catch me over at Jay's Journal. My work's over at Jay's Journal. And my Twitter handle is at Jason's underscore Jay's there you go. I highly recommend everybody listening to the show that's following the Blue Jays during the season to follow Jason because tweets are second to none. Insight is second to none. And uh, if you want to have a pleasant conversation, a non-trolling pre- pleasant conversation during the season, he's your man. So I appreciate you coming on. We'll definitely do this again sometime. And uh, take it easy, man. Sounds good. Thank you. for listening to the south of the six podcast don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at south of the six and subscribe to our show we're on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify yeah we're everywhere while you're at it if you liked what you heard do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review we appreciate it thanks again go jays and raptors